Whether you're here in person this morning or joining us through virtual media, <clears throat> I want to again welcome you to 2021. This is a new year. It's been hard to celebrate the new year like we've done in the past because a lot of it's the same as last year. You know, we're anticipating a hard times, some hard times in front of us still, but we're also anticipating the coming of the Lord and the coming of his kingdom. We're going to begin this morning in just a minute with prayer. I want to first of all start off with praying for our senior teaching pastor, Ben McGraw. He is feeling better. Um, he told the elders earlier, I think it was on Friday morning, that he hopes to be back in the office on the 25th, and then he wants to be standing here in the pulpit on the 31st. So be praying for that. Praying that God will give him the strength to be able to do that. Because we miss him a lot. And it's so good to see Christy back this morning. I'm glad y'all are here. We're also going to be praying for Jim Corbett. We're praying for another church and another pastor. We've done that for a number of years now, each morning. He's the pastor of Greenville Bible Church. We're going to be praying for him and his wife, Marsha. We're also going to be praying for, another un, for a, an unreached people group. And this is the Agani people that we're going to be praying for this morning. The Agani people are about a people group of about 500. It's a small group in India. Zero believers. Not one single believer in that group. So we're going to be praying that God would reach them. Then we'll be praying for our time this morning. So join me in prayer. Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you, Father, for loving us. We thank you for drawing us to Jesus. We thank you for the salvation that you provide through Jesus on the cross, resurrected, sitting on the right-hand side of the throne of God right now, our mediator. Father, we thank you for that righteousness that we wear, the borrowed righteousness of Jesus. We thank you for the leadership and the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells within us, gives us on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis. Father, I pray for Ben and his wife, Christy. Father, I pray that you will continue to strengthen them. Father, I pray that you will completely heal Ben's body. Give him the strength, Father, that he needs day by day as he recovers, as he moves in his goal to be healthy and back in the pulpit, because I know, Father, this is where he longs to be. And Father, we anticipate that. We've missed him. Father, I pray for Ben and, and Christy's marriage, that you'll continue to enrich their marriage and strengthen them. Father, I want to also pray for another church this morning, Greenville Bible Church and the pastor Jim Corbett. I pray for him and his wife, Marsha, first of all. Pray for their marriage, that it will be strong, that it will be sweet. Father, that it will continue to be a growing relationship with one another and with you. Father, I also pray for, for Jim's study time this week, that it has been a sweet time. And that as he stands to deliver this morning, may the Holy Spirit lead them in their study and in their worship together. Also, Father, I want to pray for the Agani people in India. 
approximately 500 people, none of them know Jesus as their Savior. Father, I pray for this relatively small people group that would maybe in some ways seem insignificant to other people groups that we've prayed for because of their size. But Father, they're not insignificant to you. Father, I pray that you would send missionaries to them to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them so that even when one accepts Jesus, that fire of excitement can spread through that entire people group. Father, finally, I pray for our time this morning that you would lead us into your word through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we love you, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Now, we're going to be focusing this morning in, on two verses in James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. So go ahead and turn to that. James 1, verses 26 and 27. And I would ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word this morning. James 1, beginning in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the reading, and this is your word that we've read this morning. Father, lead us into the truth of this word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Now, to begin with this morning, I want to back up just a little bit and set some of the stage for this letter. Also, I'm going to be referencing a number of verses through the sermon this morning. And if you're one of those old vacation Bible schoolers that are, you know, Bible sword drillers and you can turn to the, you know, you want to do that, that's fine. But our super media team back here is going to have, see, I set y'all up. <laughs> Hopefully I didn't throw you under the bus. But they're going to have the verses displayed up here on the, on the wall behind me. So if you want to turn to them, that's fine. If you want to read them off the, off the wall up here off the screen, then that's fine too. I just don't want it to be a frustration for you this morning. Okay. Um, either way that you do that is going to be absolutely great. Now, this letter was written by James the Just, as he was called, and he was one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem in the first century. But I want you to note how he introduces himself. Go back to the beginning of the, of the chapter, James 1.1, and he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now, this is an apostolic greeting and opening that James does. But I want you to notice that he introduces himself as a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He doesn't add anything to that. Simply a servant. He makes no other claim about who he was, although history reveals that this very same James was the half-brother of Jesus. Okay. Now, if I'd have been introducing myself and I had that kind of connection, I might be tempted to say, you know, I'm, I'm Morrison, oh, by the way, I'm the half-brother of, you know. We, we try to make those connections sometimes. But I want you to see very clearly, James does not do that. We know it's not James the Apostle, because that James was the very first apostle that was martyred. So this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, the leader, one of the leaders of the, of the church in Jerusalem of that first century. He came to believe in Jesus later. Scripture shows us that he didn't believe, and none of Jesus' brothers and sisters believed who he was. They thought he was an idiot. You know, they, they didn't understand. He became a believer later. He was not trying to impress anyone with his connection of his older brother. See, that tells us something about James's character. He wasn't self-serving. He wasn't self-seeking in this. No, he simply stood on the claim that he was a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This letter was written in the early to mid-40s, most likely, and was addressed almost certainly to Jewish Christians, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion, he says. So the likely recipients of this letter were believers of small or maybe even house churches all over the Mediterranean area. You know, picture in your mind that, that picture of the Mediterranean, and I could have done that, but I decided not to. But just, I mean, it was all, as, as far wide as the dispersion had sent people this letter was sent to them. So now we know who wrote the letter, and we know the audience intended. But guess what? That includes us here at Crosspoint in 2021. He addressed it to us just as well, because God preserved it in his word for us. One of the first things to note here in these two verses one of the things that I've learned from Ben, as we've talked, is you look for repeated words. And in these two verses, the word religious or religions repeated three times. So there's something about religion that James wants us to see here that we need to pay attention to. Now let's look at that focal passage today. He contrasts the negative in verse 26 and the positive in verse 27. We're going to look at, at each one of those individually and see how that works. But let's look at verse 26 first. James 1:26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now James points out here that there is an outward expression to religion. Perhaps... Studying, reading, fasting, coming together as a group like we are this morning to jointly worship. Both types of religion, the pure and undefiled, 
and the worthless. Both types of religion can have those outer vestments, the, the lookalikes, the things that we do. Okay. Avery points out the hard truth that the negative side of this religion is worthless. Now, if anybody else here this morning is, is getting a little uncomfortable with that thought, that's okay. See, this last week, I've been treading on my toes pretty hard, <laughs> you know, and thinking through and praying through because there is that absolute, there's the worthless and there's the pure and undefiled. So we're going to get to what that, what that looks like. Again, in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, the tongue can be among the vilest member of our body. Okay. Some of you may not have thought about it that way, but it can. Um, a friend of mine, a former youth minister at our church at Ridgecrest, would hear somebody using foul language. He'd walk up and say, you kiss your mama with that mouth. You know, it, it, it's kind of that same... Kind of, kind of that same thought here, okay? The tongue can be one of the vilest members of our body. Now, we can go all over Scripture and find out what God says about the tongue, but we really don't have to go too far this morning. We can stay in the book of James, okay? To see what God says about the unbridled tongue. James 1, verses 19 and 20. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James very clearly points out that we should be slow to speak. The opposite does not produce the righteousness of God, the anger James goes into much more detail in chapter 3. Now, this is one place that I really want you to turn, because I want you all to see this. In James 3, verses 2 through 6, maybe just a page over from where you've been. In this passage, James says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the, into the mouths of horses so that obey us, so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. All right, that's not a very complimentary description of the tongue but it's perfectly accurate. Notice how God through James describes the tongue, a small member. 
boasts of great things. The tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body. It is setting on fire the entire course of life. And it is set on fire by hell. Is anyone else here uneasy with that description? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it gets us where we live, doesn't it? It gets me where I live. Let's go back to James 1.26 and see the result of the untamed tongue. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. The unbridled tongue causes the individual to deceive his own heart. Here you may ask yourself, is there a difference between lying and deceit? And the answer to that is, yes, there's a difference. To begin with, by definition, lying is the act of telling something that is known to be false. That's a lie. In other words, when you say something that you know is false, that's lying. We read in Proverbs 6, clearly what God considers a lying tongue. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. It's pretty clear in that verse, God hates a lying tongue. But we need to contrast the lying tongue with the deceitful tongue. There's a difference. By definition, deceit is using some sort of plot for personal advantage. The individual thinks through something and they think, well, if I say this and I do this and I do this, then I'm going to gain this advantage. It's not just telling a non-truth. It's not just telling a lie. But it's actually plotting to make themselves look better or make themselves feel better about where they are and they deceive others or they deceive themselves. That is deceit. Romans 6, verses 17 and 18 says this. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Note the difference. Lying is telling things that are just not true. Deceit is an overt act for personal advantage. Either in a group or just they deceive themselves. They deceive their own heart, working to convince themselves that they're okay. Often think about one of the Crocodile Dundee movies where um, 
Michael Dundee says, oh yeah, me and God, we be mates. He gives lip service to something, but there's, there's nothing else there. See, that's what we can do. They deceive their heart. They work to convince themselves that they're okay. And verse 26 clearly points out the result of that. The religion is worthless. Now, I really don't think I need to describe or define the word worthless, but I'm going to. It means without value. There's nothing there. And God says through James that such religion, where someone deceives their own heart, their religion is worthless. They've gained absolutely nothing in their own efforts. So what does this look like practically? Well, the next question comes in, should, should we examine our own lives to make sure that we're not deceiving ourselves? The answer to that is absolutely yes. We do examine ourselves. We're to examine our hearts. Okay? That's what we're supposed to be doing. Surely there is a very, and there is a very clear example in 2 Timothy of what this deceit, what this deceitful person looks like. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness. Okay, I'm going to focus on that phrase. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. See, that's, that's what we need to pay attention to. And God says we're to avoid such people. They may have some elements of those outward trappings of religion. They may have a specific seat picked out and they're there every Sunday morning. But for the other six days and 23 hours, they are of the world. They don't live out what they're saying they have. There's no heart change. It's only the outward trappings. God says through James, this is a worthless religion. Now, so often in Scripture, we see this very same pattern. We see a dire and stern warning. Then we see a promise. So everybody, take a deep breath. It's called a cleansing breath. All right, we've dealt with the negative. Now let's look at the positive. 
Let's look to see what God promises us in his word. He gives hope. Religion is, we, we, we want to see what pure religion is and religion that is not worthless. And that's what we're going to focus on now. In verse 27, this is that flip side. This is the hope that we see that God provides for us. For those who belong to Jesus, for those who have put wool on, you know, we've talked about James being a wool book, not a rule book of just things we're supposed to do, but what we're supposed to look like. We're supposed to look like sheep and follow the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. Okay. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Man, that feels better. Doesn't it? It does. James points out clearly, first of all, he says, God the Father. What do fathers do for their children? Well, hopefully they provide good things for them. But we know that God the Father provides absolutely good things for his children. Look back early, earlier in chapter 1, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, it will be given to him. God gives generously to all without reproach. But to whom does he give? Who is this? And I really don't like air quotes. We're going to do one. Who is the all in this verse? Okay. It says he gives to all. Well, to answer that question, we need to remind ourselves who the letter was written to. Believers. Jewish Christians. Believers in 2021 sitting here at Cross Point Fellowship. Okay, that's who the all is. It was written to believers, followers of Jesus Christ, the 12 tribes of dispersion. This is not a universal all. It's not a blanket covering over all creation. God is saying very specifically... To those who are called by him to Jesus. It's a gift that we receive. It's not something that we earn. It's not some outer vestment that we can do. And if we do it enough times and do it right enough, we may earn that. No, 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 no. It's a gift from God. And it has to come from God. John 6, 44 says, but Jesus himself says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Those sheep called by God are truly sheep. They don't just wear an outer vestment like a wolf puts on some wool to be able to sneak into the herd and do damage, and then takes that outer cloak off when it no longer meets his needs. That's not, what God, that's not who God is talking about here. 
This promise is meant for those who belong to Jesus and who are believing, I-N-G, believing in Jesus on a day-by-day. Those on a day-by-day basis. Those are the ones who are seeking to glorify God. That is the gift of salvation provided by Jesus through the grace of God. For those who are drawn to Jesus by the Father and the Holy Spirit, it is a gift. It cannot be earned. Because it's a gift, it cannot be lost, and it cannot be sustained by anybody other than God. It is perfect. It's a one-time, lifetime, universal, not universal, I'm sorry, eternal, that's the word I'm looking for, eternal gift from God. This perfect gift comes from God. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, these are the ones who practice a faultless and pure religion. We have that ability. But what does this faultless and pure religion look like? James here is very, very clear. First of all, he says, visit the orphans. Visit visit the widows in their affliction. Boy, that sounds simple, doesn't it? You know, and we've got, I mean, Crosspoint has had a long history of adoptions and foster children, and, and not every family here has adopted or fostered, but the other families pray for those who do. They support financially for those who do. They sit in the nursery. More about that later. Uh, maybe not today, but we're going to get there. We're going to get there, folks. Hang on. We're invested in that. Now, this is a fairly young fellowship. I mean, when Kendra and I first joined, we were, us and the Roost were the oldest four here, and we were in our 50s. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Somewhere around in there anyway. So there's, there's not a lot of widows, but guess what? The widows that we do have are taken care of. We strive to take care of them. Do we drop the ball sometimes? Yeah, we do sometimes. We don't intend to, but we do. Okay. We take care of orphans, we take care of widows. So what's next? Ah, good question. He says, then we're to keep ourselves unstained from the world. Man, what does that look like? To make it clear, there is an evidenced outer vestment that we produce in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. The things that we do, the things that we say, the places we go, the things we don't do, the things we don't say, the places we don't go. Okay, God leads us in those, and it's those outer vestments that are very, very important. But then we have to marry that outer vestment with that inner connection and that desire to glorify God 
in all that we do. See, it's not just the outer, but it's got to be the outer married to the inner and serving God and wanting to glorify God and striving to glorify God. And when we do that, there's nothing expected in return. If, if, we, if we take care of somebody else and we're, we're striving to glorify God, we're not looking for, okay, what's in it for me? I'm not looking for some return. I'm simply following God's design. We're not to be stained of the things of the world. The things of the world, the things that the world say is important. We're not to be stained by them. We're not to go along with what the world says is good and desirable. Because quite frankly, in my lifetime, what used to be good when I was a teenager is now bad. What used to be bad when I was, in, when I was a teenager is now perfectly acceptable and something to be desired. Okay? Things have flipped. God says we're to keep ourselves unstained. Now, can we stay completely away from sin in our lives? Not everybody do this. No, we can't because we still have a sin nature in us. And there are going to be things that we at least think or do that's sinful. Does that stain us? Are we to avoid all temptation? Can, can we live a life where there's no temptation? No. But what stains us? What stains us is pursuing the things of the world. That's what stains us. And I'll, I'll reveal a little bit about myself here. And it may find purchase in where you struggle sometimes. I used to say this in my, what I thought was an accountability setting. <laughs> but I would, I would talk to the guys and I'd say, man, I slipped up this weekend. I didn't see it coming. It hit me from around the corner and I sinned. <laughs> no. I'll be honest, I have never, ever, not one time in my life ever slipped into sin. I haven't. It looks like this. <clears throat> the temptation is presented, I examine it, I look at it, I think about it. I weigh the momentary pleasure of the sin versus maybe the consequences, and I hope the consequences don't fail. And then I jump headfirst into that pit. See, I've never slipped or stumbled into temptation. It's been a conscious choice to sin. And it may be momentary, but guess what? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability in that moment before to say, mm -mm, I'm not going there. And that's what God calls us to do. That's how we remain unstained. 
So when we do sin, what, how are we supposed to respond to that? Well, that's when we get out our spiritual bar of soap and cleanse ourselves. Our spiritual bar of soap is 1 John 1, 9. Now, you're not going to find that heading anywhere in the scripture. I, I didn't make it up. I heard it somewhere, and I've just used it since then. But 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So that sin that stains us is cleansed by our confession and our repentance, the power of God through the Holy Spirit. We are unstained. That, my dear Crosspoint family, is how we keep ourselves unstained from the world. This passage doesn't mean never to sin again, but we're to strive to not sin. And when we do, we apply that Spiritual bar soap, 1 John 1, 9. And we're cleansed by the power of God. Take again that cleansing breath. And it may even look like this. Whew. Man. That's good news. That is good news. That we don't have to remain stained. We have that cleansing through God. <clears throat> one final verse. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. In this passage, God tells us that we're blessed. When? When we remain steadfast under trial. Like the life of Job in the Old Testament, who was a righteous man before God. He lost everything. And yet Job remained steadfast and trusted God. What is God's promise then? To receive the crown of life. God promised that for those who love him. That is something to look forward to. Absolutely. And that's God's promise. That is pure and undefiled religion. That is our goal. That, dear people, is our calling from God. Pray with me. Father, as we bow before you, we thank you, first and foremost, for Jesus. We thank you for drawing us to him. Father, we thank you for your word this morning that we have the ability to live in a pure and undefiled religion. Those outer trappings and then marrying that desire that we have in our heart to glorify you. Father, I thank you for loving us today, and I thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name I pray these things. Amen.
Okay, now as, if you're online with us this morning, go ahead and collect your Lord's Supper elements. And what we, what we do these days, because of where we are with COVID virus and stuff, we don't pass the elements, but we do have them over here. So if someone here this morning, I've got a couple of men that have these trays. If you did not pick up one of these cups, please raise your hand. And we want you to be sure and get one of these, okay? Now, when you get it, tear off the little cellophane on the top, and that reveals a little wafer underneath. Then peel the next level, the next layer off. That, that will reveal then the juice. Now, please note that this, as we prepare to share this meal in remembrance of Jesus, his love for us and his sacrifice, please know that this is intended for believers only. Okay. But if you're a believer here this morning, we invite you, yes, please partake with us. If you're not a believer, I would ask you to just let this pass. On the night that Jesus shared the Passover meal with his disciples, he'd been teaching them about what was to come how he would be delivered into the hands of those that wanted him killed. All of this was the plan set forth by God before he ever spoke creation into existence. Jesus would provide the ultimate sacrifice so that we would have a restored relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24 through 26, it says, When he, that is Jesus, had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as we strive to walk in a pure religion, take and eat. Verse 25 says, In the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As we are keeping ourselves unstained from the world through the forgiveness provided by Jesus on the cross, take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Join me in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for this meal that we share. We thank you for the covenant that we live in through Jesus. Father, I thank you for those who are here this morning and pray that you will now accept our worship in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.